So Matthew 5 and verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, uh, let's now ask God for his help as we consider his word. Oh Lord God, we want to thank you for your word and Lord we pray now that you'll please help, enable, empower the preaching of your word. Please help me, Lord, to bring your word with great power and conviction and in the power of the Holy Spirit and with clarity and in a helpful way. And please, Lord, be at work by your spirit uh, to speak to us all. Maybe some need to be encouraged. Maybe some need to be rebuked. Maybe some need to be drawn to Christ. Lord, whatever is the need tonight, we pray that you will speak and you'll work in each one that's gathered here and any who may be uh, listening online as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the verse that I want us to uh, focus on this evening is uh, where Jesus says in verse 44, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Now, this is perhaps one of the most difficult of the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ to put into practice. Humanly speaking, I doubt that anybody could really properly do obey that commandment to love our enemies. And it is this command which distinguishes Christianity from many other religions. Uh, and Quite a few adherents of other religions have been converted when they have heard this teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ to love your enemies because it transcends what they've heard before. 
I think of a man called Mohsab Hassan Youssef, who uh, was a very leading figure in Hamas. Um, and he was the son of, of, one, of the founding, uh, one of the founding fathers of Hamas. And he came, he, he, he came to Christ over a period of years. But the thing which first drew him was when he came across this teaching of Jesus. That you should love your enemies. He'd never heard anything like it before. It was, it was mind-blowing for him. And he, he started to get a sympathy towards Christianity. And then eventually he came uh, to, his testimony is that he came to full-blown faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this command, as Jesus himself says, that separates or should separate uh, believers from unbelievers. As he says, unbelievers, well, they don't have a problem loving their own families. Most people will love their own wives. Most people will love their own children and their own parents. Some, sadly, don't even do that. But most people will love their their, 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 their own family and their own friends. And, you know, around Christmas time, people will send Christmas cards or Christmas greetings to each other and get together with their friends. Yes. But to love your enemy. Oh, no. There's not many who will love their enemy. But that's what Jesus tells us to do. Now, let me just... Um, Set in its context, uh, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, and um, in this Sermon on the Mount, in the first first bit, he 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 brings out those who how you can identify a true believer in what's called the Beatitudes, and he calls upon believers to be different uh, from the world. In, he tells them to be salt and light. And then he explains why he's come. He says in Matthew 5 and verse 17, he says he's not come to abolish the law and the prophets. He's not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he says, he says I, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. He hasn't come away with the Ten Commandments. Come to do away with the Ten Commandments. Not to do away with God's moral law. Not at all. No. What is come is to see that people fulfill them. People obey God's law. And he says, um, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We who, are, who belong to Christ, we should have a quality about our lives which is far better far higher than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the ones who were the experts in the Old Testament law. They were the ones who were thought of as the, as the good people. But Jesus says, we need to have a righteousness that exceeds that, the righteousness that they had. And because it comes from the heart, we have a way of life that 
It's far better because we love God from the heart, because we're born again. We know the Spirit of God working in us. And then what he does is to contrast his teaching with the sort of teaching that the scribes and the Pharisees used to give. Now, this is often misunderstood. People often think that what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, oh, the Old Testament says this, but I'm something saying something new. Not doing that at all. He's not contradicting the Old Testament. He's saying, you've heard a distorted version of the Old Testament. You've been wrongly informed by false teachers. And they've twisted it. They've taken verses out of context and twisted them. But I'm telling you, the real meaning of the Old Testament is not, not saying something that actually the, Bible, the Old Testament doesn't teach. All these things you can find in the Old Testament. And he's saying, look, you've been wrongly informed. This is what it really is. And so each time he says, you've heard that he said, he quotes a misrepresentation of the Old Testament and then he corrects it. Now, so here... Uh, in um, this, the, his, his one example, he said, you've heard that it was said, quote, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, you won't find that sentence anywhere in the Old Testament. They've been told something false. Actually, the Old Testament says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and actually, there's all sorts of things in the Old Testament about how, how your enemy or the stranger or the, the, the person who's, who's treated you badly should be dealt kindly. And um, so that what, but what the Pharisees have done is that they have distorted and twisted the Old Testament. Now, why do they do this? Why were they doing this? Well, I think it's quite easy to work it out because basically... They had a religion of salvation by works. You've got to keep the rules in order to get yourself to make yourself good enough for heaven. If you've got a religion of salvation by works, you can't go by the proper interpretation of the Old Testament law because it's impossible for any human being to keep that. So what you have to do is you have to dilute it. You have to downgrade it to make it humanly achievable. And that's what they did. They sort of downgraded the Old Testament law to make it sort of just about something that with a bit of effort you could keep. And Jesus is saying, no, you've been misled. What God actually wants you to do is not just to love your neighbor, in other words, your friend, and hate your enemy. No, God wants you to love your enemy. That is, that is what God is calling you to do, speaking to his disciples. Now, what I, the way I want to try and approach this this evening is, um, first of all, I just want to just uh, make it clear that if you're a Christian, you are likely to have enemies. That's what Jesus says here, and it's and, and it's, it's the teaching of scripture. You, you will have enemies. Then I want us to think about what it means to love our enemies. 
then I'd like us to think about why we should love our enemies. And then I want us to think about how we can love our enemies. So first of all, let's think about then this, this thing. Jesus says, love your enemies. Now the, the assumption there is you are going to have enemies. You know, it's a very, very fanciful world that people live in when they think, oh, you know, everybody's all happy, we all get on well with each other, there aren't any problems, it's all, we all, everybody's all lovey up. That is not the world, is it? That's not how the world is. It's a romanticized, false view of the world. The truth is, the grim reality is that it's a nasty old world out there. There is a lot of nastiness going on. There's hatred, there's bitterness, there's murder going on. And that's just happening anyway in the world because of that's the way the world is, because of sin that's come into the world. But on top of the sort of general nastiness that there is in the world, we who are believers have to reckon on the fact we're likely to have more enemies than most. Because we belong to Christ. And the world hates Christ. And the reason why the world hates Christ is because the world is in the grip of the evil one. People's minds are dominated by Satan. And so they hate Christ, but they can't get at Christ because Christ is in heaven. So they get the next best thing, which is his people who are on earth. And so if you are a Christian and if you are seeking, especially if you're seeking to glorify God in your life, seeking to obey Christ, you are likely to have enemies. So Jesus said, as recorded in, Matthew, in John 15 and verses 18 and 19, he said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And Jesus even warned us that we may well find that the enemies, our enemies are actually members of our own household. We might have unbelieving parents or children who turn away from from Christ and they turn away from us and hate us. Matthew 10 verse 34. Do not think I've come to bring peace on earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. I've come to set a, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. So, that's the first thing then, that we are to we are, we are to realize that we will we are very likely to have enemies we will have enemies as christians now then i want us then to think about what does this mean to love our enemies well um, uh, the word the special word that the bible uses so often to speak of the love that we're to have is this word agape which speaks of God's love for men and the love that we should have 
for others. Uh, what does that mean? What, is that, what does love mean? Well, love means that you want the very best for others. And that you are prepared to make sacrifices in order that they may be blessed, in order that they may be helped. Now, there is the famous description of love in uh, 1 Corinthians. And clearly, this would apply um, to what Jesus says when he says, love your enemies. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, uh, Jesus says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So we are to have that, that love, that 1 Corinthians 13 love, not just towards one another, of course we should towards one another, of course towards other believers, of course towards our friends and towards our families, of course, but even towards our enemies. And in particular, let me mention some particular aspects in which that love is to manifest itself, which, which, uh, which is with ways that are mentioned by Christ and the apostles. First of all, in terms of forgiveness. Just, uh, just on the same page, we have the, the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus says that we should pray uh, verse 12 of chapter 6 forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors it's very easy isn't it if someone has treated you badly to keep a record of the wrongs that they've done to us and, and to nurse a grudge and to want harm to come to them. But Jesus says that we, should, that we should forgive our debtors, forgive those who have wronged, against us, wronged us. And he says in verse 14 there, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, it cannot mean you lose your salvation, but we will not enjoy the, 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 the knowledge of the love of God in the same way if we hold on to bitterness. Also, uh, this love for enemies should show itself in non-retaliation. Back over the page, verse 38, um, Jesus talks about not, re not, not returning evil for evil. You've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth another way in which the Pharisees and, and scribes were misquoting scripture uh, but I say to you do not resist one who is evil 
But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. There is this non-retaliation to our enemies. And then also there should be prayer for our enemies. Look again at verse 44. That he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray. In this, of course, we are to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he, as the nails are being driven into his hands and his feet, he prayed for those who were persecuting him and hurting him. Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. We, we can and we should pray for our enemies. And, um, of course, we can pray for their general needs, but particularly we should pray for their salvation. Um, Paul writes in um, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses Verse 1, he says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may, lead, lead, that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in any way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, remember... You know, people is saying which they, that, that, that people should pray for in the Roman times. You know, this is the emperor who's persecuting Christians. He's having put to death. Pray for them. Pray for him that he might be saved. And other magistrates and other rulers who are who are doing all sorts of horrible things. You pray for them. Think about how Paul says uh, also himself as regards his attitude towards the Jews that, that um, he, he, he says in Romans 9 um, he says I'm speaking the truth in Christ I'm not lying my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers my kinsmen according to the flesh he's praying for them now these were the people the Jews were the ones who hated Paul. They were the ones who were going around, chasing around the Roman Empire, hounding him and stoning him and making false accusations. And so. But he, he's praying for them. For their conversion. And also, uh, love for enemies should mean that we also teach them the word of God in a gracious and loving way. 2 Timothy chapter 2 um, and verse 24 uh, Paul says to Timothy the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring everyone enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. We should have 
we should tell our enemies as we have opportunity, obviously not always we do have an opportunity, but as there's an opportunity, we should teach them the word of God with gentleness, hoping and praying that they may come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that we mince our words. I mean, Jesus, what John the Baptist said about, about the Pharisees, he called them, you brood of vipers. <laughs> you know, he wasn't flattering at all. And Jesus said to them, Matthew 23, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but in within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. You know, he wasn't flattering them. Told them the truth, plainly, but still in love. He did it out of love. So we should, we should, um, we should teach, and we should also show practical love. That passage that I read earlier in the service from Romans 12. Paul um, speaks there about the practical love that we should show to our enemies if they are in need. Uh, Romans 12 verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Show love, practical love to your enemy if he should be in need. Well, then, I want then to go on then to think about why we should love our enemies. And Jesus gives us the answer to that question. We should love our enemies because that's what God does. We should be like our Heavenly Father. Verse 44 of Matthew 5. Uh, reading again but I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you verse 45 so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust we who are believers are the sons of God We've been adopted into his family. Well, we need to make sure that we bear the family likeness. That we are like our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father loves his enemies. He sends, he makes his son to rise on the evil as well as the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. He doesn't sort of, you know, have a shaft of sunlight just coming down on the, on the good people and leave all the rest in darkness. Or just send, send the blessing of rain just on the good people. No, he sends, he sends his sunshine upon all and, he, and, his, and, his, and, his, and the rain upon all. That each have the blessing of both sunshine and rain. And we should be the same. Showing love to our enemies because that's what God does he shows love to his enemies now you may not have come across this but I have I, I, there's a friend of mine in fact he used to sadly used to be a member of this church actually and, and um, he got involved with a group of people and uh, he said God loves the elect but he hates the reprobate and the implication was, we should do the same. 
Well, there's all sorts of problems with that. Because, number one, we don't know who the elect and the reprobate are. We've got no idea until the final judgment as to who God has chosen and who he hasn't chosen. But far, more, far bigger problem is, look, you've got your own view of God. Yes, there's a special love that God has for his elect, for his chosen ones. But does that mean that God's got no love for the, for the non-elect? No. He loves his enemies. That's what, he, that's, what, that's what the Lord Jesus is saying. And think of Jesus as well. Think of Jesus as he, as he goes up to Jerusalem, as, as recorded in Luke 19. When he drew near to the city, what happened? He wept over Jerusalem. These were his enemies. They're just about to crucify him and kill him. And he knows what's going to happen to them because of that. He knows that the judgment of God is going to fall upon them. He knows that the Roman Empire is going to, Roman army is going to come and encircle them and kill them all. And he weeps. And he says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. He loves his enemies. I've just mentioned also already Paul. Great concern for his enemies, the Jews. So God isn't telling us to do anything that he doesn't do. On the contrary, he's telling us to do exactly what he does. He loves his enemies and we should do the same. Another reason why we should love our enemies is because this is the way that we show that we're different from the world. You see, the world knows nothing of this. The world says, I want my pound of flesh. I want satisfaction. I want justice. And of course, by justice, it often is meant revenge. I want my own back. Yes, the world will love its own, of course, but the world won't love, it, love enemies. But we must show that we're different by the fact that we love those who hate us. You see, Jesus has talked, hasn't he, earlier on in the sermon about, he says, you're the salt of the earth. You've got to be different. You've got to be different from the world. If the salt loses its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? Now, of course, this has all sorts of applications, things like sexual ethics and, and how we handle money, all these sorts of things. But it also applies to this area of how are you going to respond when people are horrible to you? Are you going to be different? He says, verse 46, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what, more, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You've got to be different. And then another reason he, he gives is because there is a reward as we do these things. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Well, answer no. But by implication, if you do love your enemies, that's a reward. Now, some Christians don't like the doctrine of rewards. They, they get nervous about it. But 
It's, it's here in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes on to talk about the reward for, um, for, for, for uh, giving to the poor in secret, the reward for secret prayer, the reward for, 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 for fasting. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. Well, here also there is the reward. He then talks about how, how um, when we're generous with our money, we will store up treasure for ourselves in heaven. There is a blessing which comes from obeying God in this area. We should also love our enemies because our enemies are made in the image of God. We've been thinking Sunday mornings about, about um, the creation, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and we've seen a few couple of weeks ago how there is this teaching in Genesis 1 that man is made in the image of God and therefore is to be treated with dignity and respect. And even the most depraved and the most horrible individual is still made in the image of God. Should still be loved. And another reason is this. Because any, each one of our enemies is potentially a brother or sister in Christ. You don't know. I don't know. If this one, who's been so horrible, could be one of those ones, that one of the Lord's sheep, that is going to draw to himself. And you might be sharing heaven with him or her. You never know. So we should love. You might be my future brother or sister in Christ. We should love him or her and pray for him or her. Now, objection. Somebody might say, oh, but hang on, what about David? When he says, Psalm 139, verse 21, he says, do, not, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Oh, isn't that a contradiction from what Jesus is saying? Well, no. David here is speaking from the point of view of God's justice and God's righteousness. And out of love for God's righteousness and holiness, he sides himself with God. He says, I hate the practice of wrongdoing. And he doesn't want to join with the wicked in, in the terrible things that they do. He doesn't want to be friends with the wicked in that sense. In that sense, he counts them as his enemies. But you can see with David, his own life, what did he do when he had the opportunity to kill Saul? He let him go. And he even just felt guilty for snipping off a bit of the corner of his robe. <gasps> what have I done? That I should have done anything against the Lord's anointed. He, 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 he would not show hatred for Saul, his enemy, and neither should we. There is that I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it's quite true. It does encapsulate important sin, important truth. We hate the sin, but we love the sinner. Well, so we've thought about the fact we will have enemies. We've thought about what love for enemies looks like. We've thought about 
why we should love our, love our enemies. And I want us to think about how. How do we do this really difficult thing? How do we love our enemies? Well, I wonder, the first thing I want to say under this heading is, you're not going to be able to unless you are truly born again, unless you truly know Christ. Now, I'm assuming most of us, maybe all of us here, are, are true Christians, but I can't necessarily, I shouldn't probably assume make that assumption. Listen, unless the Lord works in your life and changes your heart, you will be incapable of doing what Jesus says here. You must come to him as a sinner. You must repent of your sins. You must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to be your savior. And God promises that he will give the Holy Spirit to those who come to him in repentance and faith. So come to Christ. Ask him to save you. And ask him to give you the Holy Spirit. That's the first and most important thing. But then... What else can we do to help ourselves to fulfill this commandment? Well, one, of course, very important thing if you are a Christian is this. Remember the love that the Lord has shown you. What were you before you were converted? Well, you were one of God's enemies. You hated God. You loathed God. You didn't want God ruling over you. And yet God loved you and he sent Jesus to die for your sins. And he worked in you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins and made you alive. Why? Because of his grace. We read earlier in our service, Romans 5 verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. Think about that love that God has shown to you. His enemy. If God has loved you, his enemy... How can you not love your enemies? Then another thing which will help us, I think, when, we, um, when we're struggling to love our enemies is we need to remember what's going on. Paul says, doesn't he, in Ephesians 6, he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We, we do not wrestle, 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That person who's being so horrible to you is in a sense a pawn in Satan's hands. Remember that. He's not your real enemy. Your real enemy is the devil. And that can help uh, to, to, to help us as, as we try to relate with, with these ones who are hostile and make life very difficult for us. 
Another thing which can really help us when we are struggling to love our enemies is to think about what's going to happen to your enemy on the final day if he or she doesn't get saved. The pain that he or she will experience in hell forever and ever should lead us to pity that person. Even if that person's been really horrible to us. Hear what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. He says, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because of our testimony to you was believed. It's going to be a terrible day for your enemies and my enemies on that day. God's going to sort them out. You know, sometimes we get frustrated. We think, oh, how can they're getting away with, with murder? Well, no, they're not. Well, they won't forever. Because God will deal with them. And that should lead us to have compassion rather than to uh, want to get our own back on them. And conversely, we should remember that we who believe have got wonderful, we've got glory coming to us. And whatever you've suffered in this life will be a thousand times rewarded in the life to come. You're not going to lose out through loving your enemies. And indeed, the more that you bear that suffering, the more that you respond in a gracious and loving way, as, as the Lord himself says, the greater your reward will be. Well, I hope and pray that, that um, what we've thought about this evening will have encouraged us and strengthened us. And may we be given grace by God to indeed love our enemies and do good to those and pray for those who persecute us.